Good morning, everyone. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Nathan Barbo, and I'm an associate pastor here at Grace Church Bellingham. Dax is out of town this week, so I get the privilege of proclaiming the gospel this morning. Dax has been going through the book of Exodus, and we'll be back in the book of Exodus next week. Uh, But this week we're going to be looking at Hebrews. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 29. And we're going to be looking at assurance and where we find our assurance. Now, I don't know about you all, but I think there's times where it can be hard to have this assurance, this confidence in our salvation, this certainty that we know that we're saved, knowing for sure that we're in Christ and that we're going to be going to heaven. It can be a thing that at times is hard to hold on to, hard to be sure of. When I was a kid, there were times where this was especially hard for me. There were times where I was especially scared because I wasn't sure of my assurance. The song, Amazing Grace, it especially scared me. It's a great song, but it has this line that says, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. A really cool line. But when you're not certain of your assurance, it's kind of a scary line. 10,000 years, that's a long time. How do I know I'm going to be in heaven for these 10,000 years? What if I'm not in heaven for these 10,000 years? That's a long time to not be in heaven. What do I need to do? What do I need to say? What do I need to believe? What boxes do I need to check to make sure that I'm going to be in heaven for these 10,000 years? I think everyone has these doubts or worries at different times. I know I've talked to many people who, as kids, every time that the sinner's prayer was offered and this prayer to accept Jesus into your heart, that they would pray the prayer again because they weren't sure that, you know, the last time it worked. They they prayed it again because they wanted to be sure that, oh, maybe this time I'll have the confidence. Maybe this time I'll be certain. Or I know people who've been baptized multiple times because they weren't sure that the first time or the second time it really worked. So they get baptized again, hoping that, Maybe this time, they'd be sure that it worked. We have this this desire to be certain that we're saved. And it's a good question, a good thing to want to know. We don't want to miss going to heaven. We want to know for sure that when we die or that Jesus comes back, that we're going to be in heaven with him. We want to make sure that we've done everything we need to do, that we've said the right things, checked the right boxes. We hear about this Jesus guy and know we need a Savior. But how do I know for sure that I'm, I'm going to be in heaven with him? How do I know that I've done everything I need to do to be a Christian? The problem is, is this has taken the focus and put it on me, making sure I've done the right things to be a Christian. Let's turn Christianity into this idea of doing the right things in order to get to heaven. Or said differently, making sure that I'm good enough or have accomplished enough to go to heaven. Instead of simply trusting Christ. Instead of simply resting in this hope, this settled hope that we have in him. Why do we struggle with this idea? Why aren't we certain of our assurance? Why aren't we confident in our future? This is what our passage is about today. 
who are going to be talking about how we try so hard to find our assurance in our actions, which don't give us assurance at all. When in reality, our assurance comes through the finished work of Christ. Our confidence lies in what he has done for us. Now, in order to jump in to the middle of this book of Hebrews, we need to set up a little bit of context. The first thing is we don't actually know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people think it was Paul. Others think it was maybe someone who studied under Paul and learned from him. But at the end of the day, we're not certain who wrote this book of Hebrews. But what we do know about this book of Hebrews is that it is an amazing book. It's an amazing book talking about how great and amazing Jesus is. It goes through and talks about how Jesus is greater, how he's better than everything the Israelites had set up prior to him. How Jesus was great, or is greater than the angels. And then how Jesus is greater than Moses. That he's a greater high priest. One who is outside of the law. And then, in chapter 8, it begins a little bit of this new section. A section that takes us through 8 through to our section today and 10. That talks about, in Christ we have this new covenant. And it repeats some of what we read today in Jeremiah 31. Of this new covenant we have in Christ. And then in chapter 9... The author talks about how the Israelites need to make sacrifices for their sins. But now it is through the blood of Jesus that he is a greater sacrifice. And then in the beginning of 10, we get this idea that Jesus is the once for all sacrifice. That instead of the need for continued sacrifices, he is this final sacrifice. And it is through his death This, then, is our context for the passage today. So with that, let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, my slides don't seem to be working. It says, there we go. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So we come back, we're coming off these past chapters of just how great Jesus is, how he is this once-for-all sacrifice. The author of Hebrews says, now because of this great confidence, because of what Jesus has done, Because of what he's done, we now have this confidence to enter into the holy place. And that confidence is in this new and living way. The author seems to be contrasting this old way with this new way. So then what is this old way? The old way was introduced through the law. The people needed to follow the law. These rules that God had given to the people to follow. We often think of this as the Ten Commandments, which Dax introduced last week in Exodus. These rules that had been given to the people to follow. And when they didn't follow these rules, they then needed to make sacrifices. They then had these processes they needed to go through to atone for their sin.
They had this process that they had to go through. If we look at Leviticus chapter 5, verses 10, we see how the people were forgiven for their sin. It says, Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering, according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him, for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. This verse comes in the middle of a long process, a long section about the process that they needed to go through for sacrifices for their sin, to atone for their sin. It comes of what type of animal they were supposed to sacrifice and what they were supposed to do. And then if they didn't have that animal, then the next type of animal they were supposed to sacrifice. And our verse of Leviticus 5.10 comes when they have two birds that they were supposed to sacrifice and what they were supposed to do with the second one. And so this process that they needed to go through to get forgiveness, in order to have forgiveness, they had to follow these right steps. They had to keep the rules in order to have this forgiveness, to be in this right relationship with God. It was about their work and what they did. But instead, now we are given this new way. Right? We're given this new way that's a living way, that's in Christ's death and resurrection. That he came and was this final offering for our sin. He paid for our sin. And now in his death, we are given forgiveness and given righteousness. And so the author of Hebrews is coming and saying, because of this death and this new way, this new way we have in Jesus' death and resurrection, we can have this certainty, this assurance, this confidence to enter into the holy places. We're given access to God in a way that is different. You see, under the old way, they didn't have confidence to enter into the holy places. Dax is going to get to the construction of the tabernacle in Exodus here in a few weeks. But inside the tabernacle, there's this area called the holy place. And only the priests were allowed to go into this holy place. Not just everyone was allowed to go in, but only the priests. We wouldn't have been able to go in, and most of the Israelites wouldn't have been able to go in. And then inside that, there was a smaller area that was divided by a curtain called the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest once a year was able to enter into the Holy of Holies. And he was only able to go into this after he had completed this process that he had to go through. And then he had to bring a blood sacrifice for his sin and for the unintentional sins of the people. There was no confidence for people to enter into the Holy of Holies, to enter into God's presence. Only one person once a year was able to do this. But the author of Hebrews is saying because of this new way, because of this new living way, we can have confidence to run in to God's presence to run into the Holy of Holies and be with God. It's this amazing thing. Now we can just enter into God's presence by this new way, by this new covenant that is in his blood. We can't find this confidence in the law. We can't find it in our actions. It isn't through the law and the sacrificial system that we receive this righteousness and forgiveness. Is now through this new and living way, this way that doesn't involve us, this way that's outside of us. And it's because of Christ's finished work on the cross. And because of what he's done, we can now have this confidence, this full assurance.
because it is completely about what he has done, because of this ultimate price he has paid. And so now, because of this amazing confidence we have, because of this new and living way that we have, the author of Hebrews goes into these three amazing things we get, these three amazing wonders we have, because of this most amazing confidence, because of this newfound confidence we have in Jesus. The first wonder we get is we get to draw near. Let's take a look at verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This first amazing wonder we have is that we're now able to draw near because we have this amazing confidence. We're now able to draw near. We're now able to run into the presence of God. My sin no longer keeps me from God. It isn't like the priest who could only enter the Holy of Holies once a year. We now have access to God. Instead, we have full confidence to draw near to him. And how do we draw near? It's this full assurance of faith. It's this full assurance of faith that we draw near. And this assurance isn't in my action. It isn't in what I need to do. It isn't me going through the list like, did I yell at my kids today? No? Okay. Did I get angry at my coworker? No, okay. Did I lie? Did I steal? Did I, whatever sin it might be, did I, did I do those things? No, okay, now I can enter into God's presence. Now I'm okay because I didn't do these things. No, the reason we get to draw near is because of what Jesus has done. Because of his death. It means that we don't have to worry about our sin to come into his presence. Now, don't get me wrong. Sin is bad. We shouldn't sin. Sin is terrible. But my sin no longer keeps me from God. My sin doesn't change my confidence in who Christ has made me. That he has made me righteous through his action, not mine. It doesn't change that he has sprinkled our hearts clean from an evil conscience. Now, this idea of an evil conscience— it isn't this idea that we have, you know, a little angel on one shoulder and a an e little devil on the other shoulder, and my evil conscience is when I listen to that little, little devil that says, you know, go rob a bank or go steal or whatever it might be. This idea of a little of an evil conscience is that we don't believe, we don't trust that we've been forgiven. It's not holding on to this forgiveness we have in Christ. It's not trusting that he has forgiven us and made us righteous. I see the law. I see the Ten Commandments. And I see that I don't measure up to them. I see that I got angry with my kids. I see that I don't love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I see that I don't love my neighbor as myself. I see the law rightly condemning me. The law continues to condemn my flesh and tell me that I'm not enough. So my problem is, my evil conscience is that I hear this and I believe that I'm not forgiven. I believe that in order to be acceptable to God, I need to do better. That I need to go achieve and, and do the right things before God will accept me. That in order to have this relationship with God, I need to be improving and getting better. I need to be doing the right thing. 
But in order to draw near to him, to draw into his presence, I need to have been good enough. We see this at the very beginning of the Bible, right? We've got Adam and Eve who are in the garden with God, and they're there walking with him. And then they sin. They eat the fruit from the uh, tree, and they sin. And what do they do? They hide. They see their sin, and they're ashamed, and they hide. We do this too. I see, I see my daughter. I tell her she can't have a cookie. And she goes and she, she sneaks out cookie and she hides. Because she sinned and she's ashamed of her sin. We hide because we don't believe that we're forgiven. We think that God can't possibly accept our sin. That we haven't been good enough. That we haven't done the right things. We don't think we're worthy. We think that we need to show that we're good enough. We need to show that we're worthy in our flesh instead of trusting that he is the one who has made it so we can enter into his presence, that he is the one who came and has forgiven us and given us righteousness. This is based on what he has done for us. That we are totally and completely forgiven. This is in his sacrifice for our sins that our evil conscience has been cleansed. We've been washed clean. And now we can hold on to this forgiveness we have in Christ. And while the law does continue to condemn me, the law continues to tell me that I don't love well enough, that I don't do what I should. I get to hold on to this forgiveness that I have in Christ, that he says, you are forgiven, and that you've been made righteous, that you're good. So we can draw near to him, because he's washed us clean with this pure water. This idea that he's made us clean. That it's through his living water, the living water he has, that he's given to us and made us clean. This is how we get to draw near, because of what he has done for us. Not because I follow the law well, not because I am such a good person or tried really hard, because, but because of what Jesus has done. I know that when the law condemns me, and it will, it will condemn us. I can hold on to Christ's forgiveness, knowing that he has washed me clean, that he has totally and completely forgiven me, that I can run into his presence, and that he is for me no matter what, and that it is about what he has done. And this gives us hope. This gives us an amazing hope, which brings us to our next point. This brings us to the second amazing wonder which is holding fast. Let's look at verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We are holding fast to this hope because of what Jesus has done for us. This keeps flowing right out of what we were just talking about. We have confidence, this assurance, because it is about what Jesus has done. We have hope because Jesus is the one who is faithful. is isn't me who is faithful. I'm not faithful in my own action. My work's trying to get myself good enough. There's no hope in this. There's no hope in that because I can't be good enough. I'm not faithful. I'm not good enough. The law never gives me a chance to be good enough. The law requires a sinless perfection. 
And that's not what I do. It's a high bar we can never clear. And so it has to be out Christ. But then what we do is we say, okay, well, now I have Christ. Now I've accepted him. Now I get the spirit. Now I have this amazing Christ. And so now, now because I have Jesus, now I can be faithful. We turn it and say, okay, well, now, now maybe I can be faithful because I have Jesus. I still want a piece of it to be about me. I know that my hope is through Jesus' blood and his death. But then I want to find a way to bring me back into the picture. I want to say, well, now, now I can be faithful. Now I'm enabled to be faithful. I'll try my best and can maybe have some hope because I've been faithful too. We think this is what God wants from us. So we often turn Christianity into. We think he wants our faithfulness. Then in order for him to love us, to accept us, we need to be faithful to him. And then we start to worry that if we're not faithful, then maybe we're not really Christians. But all we've done is we've moved our assurance, our confidence, right back in to my own action, to if I'm being good enough, to if I'm following the law and doing the right things. I'm so quick to make this change. In fact, I often want to make this change. I want to bring me back into the picture. I want to find some good in me. I want to find some confidence in my flesh. The problem is that I can't be faithful. Even though now I'm in Christ, I still sin. It can't be about my actions. The law still condemns me. It still tells me that I'm not good enough. The law set this high bar, and then we see Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount even raising that bar up, right? He says it's not that you just haven't murdered someone, but that you haven't been angry with them in your heart. I get angry with people. What the law requires isn't that I want to be faithful, or that I try to be faithful, or that maybe sometimes I'm faithful. What the law requires is a sinless perfection, a perfect faithfulness. And at the end of the day, I'm just not faithful. I need this faithfulness from somewhere else. I need it from outside of me. And we're given this faithfulness in a Savior who was faithful for us, and a Savior who came and died for us, that he lived perfectly, and that he was this ultimate final sacrifice for us. And we can hold fast to this hope. It's the only thing we can really hope in, is what he's done for us. We can trust his promises. He's faithful. He's faithful to to fulfill his promises. He's going to come back for us. He's preparing a place for us. If we look at John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. He promises that he will take us with him, that he is preparing a place for us, that he will come back for us, that our confidence is what he will do, that he's faithful to fulfill his promises. Then a couple verses down, in verse 6, 
It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This hope we have is through him. This way we have to the Father is through him and what he has done, through his death and resurrection, not through our action. He's the one who is faithful. He is going to come back. He has forgiven us. Our hope is because of what he has done. This brings us to our third amazing wonder, this third thing we get because of our confidence in what Christ has done for us. This one is now about our interactions with one another. This one is about, let us stir up. So let's look at verse 24. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We've just walked through how it's all about what Jesus has done, about his finished work and his sacrifice and not what we need to do. And then I get to this section and my flesh is like, oh, finally, something I can do. I know you said it was about Jesus' faithfulness and his completed work, but I knew somewhere there was a piece about me. I now get to tell, we get to, I get to now go tell others to go do good things. I get to go tell others to go do these perfect works. I so quickly jump back to the law. I so quickly jump back to say, no, it's about what you need to do. That you need to go do better. That can't be what it's about. Instead, what I think this is talking about is that we get to remind each other of this truth of the gospel we have. We get to remind each other of this forgiveness we have. That is this amazing good work we get. That we get to remind one another that you have been forgiven. We get to remind each other of this perfect work that we have in Christ. That he came and was perfect. This perfect work of what Christ has done on the cross for us in his death and resurrection. And we get to see how God is going to use us, how God does use us. We get to push each other off this old way and remind each other that our good works don't bring us confidence, that we have no confidence in those. But instead, our confidence is in the finished work of Christ, that we are forgiven and is about what he has done in his faithfulness. And this idea of meeting together is not about abandoning one another. It's about us not leaving each other, but that we get to come together and remind each other of this new hope we have. This amazing new hope we have in Christ. This hope we have in the gospel. That Christ has come and died for our sin. We get to tell each other that you are forgiven. That even though you may have yelled at your kids or been arguing with your spouse on the way to church, or you lied this week, or you cheated this week, or you lusted this week, or you stole this week, or whatever the sin is, because we all sin, we get to come together and be reminded that you are forgiven. That our confidence, my assurance, isn't based on what I have done, but instead in what Christ has done for me. That he is a great high priest, that he is this perfect sacrifice and came and died for us. 
and how amazing it is that God uses us to proclaim this gospel message. That he would use us, use us as distributors of this great promise of his. That he would use us to bring us back to this forgiveness. That we get to tell, that we get to be preachers of this forgiveness. This absolution of sin that we have. That we get to remind each other of what we so easily forget. That we've been forgiven. The world works so different. It works in this way of building ourselves up about our works. So we come back together, not abandoning one another, but reminding each other of this amazing truth we have in the gospel. Of who you are in Christ. That you've been made righteous by what he has done. That you are good because what he has done. And how amazing is it that God uses us as distributors of this promise? That he would use each of us to bring forgiveness to one another. That we get to tell our family, our friends, our co-workers, those we come in contact with, that you have been forgiven. That's so amazing. This amazing good news of what Christ has done. And that God's plan from the beginning was to use us in our broken flesh, our broken sinners, to spread this message, to remind each other, of this gospel we have. We get to tell each other that you are forgiven no matter what you've done. And this is the confidence you have. This confidence you have is because of Christ's forgiveness for you. And so now we have these three amazing wonders. These three things we get that we get to draw near. We get to run into the presence of God. We can hold fast to the amazing faithfulness of Christ. And we get to stir up reminding each other of this amazing promise of forgiveness we have in Christ. That we're forgiven. And these amazing promises that come out of the confidence we have in the finished work of Christ and what he has done for us. So now the author of Hebrews goes, comes back and gives us one last push to not go back to the old way. Say, now you have all this. Don't go back to that old way. There's no hope there. Let's look at verse 26 says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, and who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace. Now after everything, everything about this new way that is through Christ, what he has done that isn't about us and what we have done, that we can't be good enough, we get this section telling us not to go back to the old way. Don't abandon this hope you have. You can't go back to trying to accomplish the law. We can't be good enough in our actions. If I'm trying to get to God through the law, I'm just back to wondering if I've really accomplished enough. Because it becomes about my own action. Have I followed the law well? Have I done everything I need to do for God to be pleased with me? To be acceptable to God? It becomes about what I am doing. If this is how we try and get to God, through our actions, we come out most often in one of two places. The first place we come out is that we see 
this law that's so high, so amazing that we should do. And we see we don't meet the requirements. I see that I'm not meeting the requirements of the law, that I don't love well, that I don't love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and that I don't love my neighbor as myself. I see that I got angry and that I lied. And I see that I'm not measuring up. And all, all I do then is worry that I'm not actually saved. Because I see if I'm trying to get to God through my action, I see that I'm not getting there. And so it can't be that way. There's no hope there because I don't accomplish it. The second... The second place we end up when we try to get to God through our action is we think we do get there. We think that we are good enough. I think that I do follow the law and that I have done what is required. That I have completed what is necessary. I think that I'm doing my part, but all I'm doing is I'm lowering the law. I'm taking this high perfect law that says I need to be perfect and I'm lowering it down to this thing I can achieve. It's like I'm in the Olympics and need to high jump 12 feet. And so I'm like, okay, I'll set the bar at like 12 inches. That's 12 something. That's close enough. I'm jumping over something. And we think that that's good enough. We think because we, we cleared some little bar that, oh, maybe we're good enough. But that's not the requirement. The requirement is a perfect law that we can't achieve. We see that we do sin. The problem is that we do sin. We don't meet this bar. It says in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we think we meet these standards, we're a liar. It isn't true. We think we are following the law. We're lowering it to some level that we can accomplish. We can't achieve the law. At the end of the day, both of these outcomes end and no hope. They end without a confidence. They end in us being worried that we're not actually saved because I'm not meeting the standard. We have to abandon this old way, this old way of us trying to achieve to make ourselves good enough for God. We need to abandon that old way instead of hold on to this new way, this only way, the only way we have. And that way is through what Jesus has done for us, through his death and resurrection, through his forgiveness. And we can hold fast to this new way. We need to burn those boats and not go back, not go back to the old way. And the old way, under the law, we were destroyed. We would be killed without mercy. So how much worse for it is if we abandon this new way Abandon this new way that's our only hope. The old way only brings death. If I try to get to Christ through my action, that only brings destruction. There is no hope there. It is not a real way to life. There isn't a second way. There isn't another way we can find. We've tried so hard to make other ways. We see all these religions built on, trying, on us trying to be good enough on finding enlightenment, on being the best me I can be for God. Life is full of us trying to build ourselves up. It's how the world works. 
I've got to work hard in school so I can get good grades, so I can get to a good college, and work hard at college so I can get a good job, and work hard at my job so I can get a promotion, so I can have the money I need to have a good, successful life. The world's built this way on us building ourselves up. It works in the world, but it doesn't bring us salvation. It doesn't bring me confidence in me being saved. It brings no hope for my salvation. It only ends in destruction. They don't have any hope or faithfulness or confidence, but only our destruction. We have to abandon trying to earn righteousness. And you might be sitting here thinking, I get it, I know I can't earn my way to heaven. I know it isn't about me being good enough. My only way to heaven is through faith in Jesus. But we so quickly fall back into this trap of thinking there's some level of good that I need to do. That I somehow should be coming more Christ-like in my behavior. That next week or next month or next year I should be better. I should see myself as better. But all that's done is put the focus back on me and if I'm achieving the right things, if I'm holding up to a standard. All it's done is turned it to me and finding my assurance and confidence in my work. What if I'm not improving? What if I'm not better? Well, now I have no confidence. All it does is moves us back into this place of wondering if we're really saved. There is no hope here. All we have is this new way. It is our only hope. This new way that gives us confidence, not in ourselves, but in what Christ has done. This new way that allows us to enter the holy places. This new way that cleanses our evil conscience. It makes us clean. It gives us hope. It's through this new way that we can have full assurance. We can't find that in ourselves or anything else. But we can rest with full assurance knowing that Christ has done it. That he has died and risen again. And that he has forgiven us for our sins. And that he has made us righteous. That he has made us good. It's about what he has done in his finished work. It is in his work we can have this full confidence. We try so hard to find this righteousness in ourselves, To find the confidence in our own action. We want to bring something to the table. But there is no confidence there. What I want to leave you with today is that we do have a confidence. We have a full assurance in the finished work of Christ. He is a greater sacrifice. He is this new and living way. In him we can draw near, we can hold fast, and we can stir up. In him we have full assurance because of his forgiveness. Because he has said, you are forgiven. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this new way we have. We so easily get pulled back into this own way of wanting to make it about ourselves, but I just pray that we could hold fast to this new way, to this new way that's in your blood that you have forgiven us, that we could remind each other of this forgiveness we have in you, that I get to run into your presence not based on me, but because of what you have done for us. It's amazing forgiveness we have, and I pray that we could hold on to that forgiveness. In Jesus' name. Amen.